Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. So today we're in part two of Measuring Up, a short three-part series on finding freedom from what I think is uh, maybe one of the great psychological plagues that we all struggle with. We see it clearly in children, especially in teens, but frankly, it drives so much of the stress in our own lives as well as adults uh, preventing tranquility in our life regardless of the age. We're examining this tendency of each other uh, to measure ourselves up, to compare ourselves to others. Last week, uh, we noted how prevalent this is. And uh, if you're a person who doesn't like to deal with, uh, doesn't think you deal with insecurity in comparison to other people like I was for most of my life, I kind of challenged you last week and would challenge you again. Uh, I'll bet it drives you more than you think because I think we all fall into this trap of the bigger-er, trying to be smarter, more talented-er, prettier, faster, better than others, It's just something that drives us. Our core takeaway last week was this. There's no win in comparison. There's never an end to it. There's no matter how much better you are than others, there's always somebody who's better and there's always something that is better. Even if we excel in an area to the point that we are better or even best, it is just fleeting at best because every single one of us still fights with an inevitable bigger-er we didn't talk about last week, and that is getting older. So it doesn't matter if you're the best today, you're not going to be tomorrow. There is no win in comparison. And again, that's not a typo, because comparison is a way of trying to tell ourselves that we are good enough, we are okay, we are lovable, is full of all sorts of sin. It leads to destruction in our own lives. It leads to destruction in our relationships. See, if I'm focused on making myself feel better by comparing myself to others, then I'm always going to be a driven and I'm never going to experience peace, contentment, tranquility, love, other than in fleeting moments instead of abiding characteristics of our lives, which is what we, I think God wants it and what we want it to be, those good qualities. So we asked the question last week, what do we do about it? What's the solution? And we narrowed that to kind of a very specific question we said we'd talk about today, which is this, who or what am I going to use as the measuring stick, as the reference point to tell me I'm okay in life? Because every single person looks to something or someone in comparison to tell us we're okay. It's at the core of human desire, and there's a part of it that's actually just wired into us. It's not even necessarily unhealthy that we look for this because it's in you to want to feel competent, to feel desirable, to feel loved, to feel wanted, to feel intelligent, to feel acceptable. It's in you to want people to affirm you that you are doing a good job, that you are worth something, that you are appreciated and and things are done well. We want to know we're okay. And that desire, that need, that's there. That's okay. The question is, who or what am I going to use as the measuring stick or the reference point to tell me I'm okay? See, for some of you, it's someone. It's a person. Maybe it was a parent or a significant other or your boss or your brother or your sister. You're always trying to figure out your relationship with them and navigate them in such a way that you know you're okay. 
that you're good enough, you're respected, you're valued, you're loved, you're wanted. It's, it's part of the reason that for some of us, family holidays together with extended family is, is full of tension. It's not just because Uncle Fred's a jerk. It's because you want to be loved. You want to be respected. You want to know you're safe, you're secure, you're valued. Everything is okay. For others of you, it's not someone, it's something. It's being in the nicest, best neighborhood. It's, it's being right. It's being big and athletic. It's being tough enough that you can handle pain and difficulty without ever showing any weakness. It's your GPA. It's an honor on your wall. It's the size of your, your portfolio. Yet when you think about it, that something is often attached back to someone. A coach, a parent, a, a sibling, you always looked up to a person who told you stories of what it meant to be a winner, to be successful, to be okay, to be accepted. And that something you pursue that someone told you in the past drives you. See, this issue happens to all of us. It's not just a religious thing. It's a human thing. It's almost like we have this constant whisper in the back of our heads going, am I measuring up to blank, whatever that someone or something is for you? That voice is saying, I wonder what my boss thinks about me. I wonder what my spouse thinks about me. Am I acceptable? Am I okay? Am I secure? I wonder what my kids think about me. Will they love me and want to be around me when they grow up and I'm older? Am I okay? I I wonder. Here's the good news. Christianity gives us solid explanations for both where that whisper in our head comes from and what we can measure ourselves against that can leave us living in a place of ongoing tranquility and peace and joy. If you're a Christian, what we're going to talk about today may be old hat. If it is, let it, let it just sink in more deeply because it's at the core of our faith. If, if you're a Christian and it's new to you, then, then that's great. If you are here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, even if you are irreligious, aren't interested in religion, you are, maybe you're here just because you love the person next to you and you're coming with them. And so first, let me just applaud you for being here and loving someone that way that you would come with them even though you don't necessarily want to be here. Second, what we're talking about today is extremely relevant to you as well. Regardless of your view on religion or God, at some point in your life, you will come face to face with this issue. And you'll find yourself in a place of wondering if you measure up, am I okay? Am I secure? It happens to all of us. And if you're a follower of Jesus, please hear this. Christianity, and I'm, now maybe not the version of Christianity you experienced or grew up with that seems irrelevant to you, but Christianity, the kind that Jesus taught, the kind that the Bible talks about, the kind that we're talking about today, is so extremely practical, relevant, and powerful to the very day-to-day life of your today and tomorrow. It's not just this thing that deals with this far-off eternity thing. We're going to look at Galatians today. Galatians is written by the Apostle Paul. He's the person who wrote most of the New Testament. It's written about 25 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Paul was a friend at that point of the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life and resurrection. And prior to that, Paul had actually been educated in the Jewish version of Harvard. He had worked so hard in doing that, he actually gained success and he was being employed and, 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 and treated as a rising star among the Jewish leaders of the day. Paul himself, at one point, has this powerful encounter with Jesus, and it turned him from being a zealot who was persecuting the early Christians into the leading voice of early Christianity. 
And he has some profound insight for what we're talking about today. What is the source of this drive by which we compare? And how do we find peace and freedom from the destructive effects of comparison by knowing who and what we should use to measure ourselves by? Galatians 4 starts this way. It says, but when the set time had fully come. So in other words, when God in all of his eternal wisdom decided this is the best time, everything's in order for me to do this. So when the set time had fully come, God sent Jesus, his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Now, we can easily gloss over this because it just sounds like this generic summary of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection kind of stated in these boring theological terms. But let me practically break this down because this is powerful. You may not have realized it, but you, every single one of you, every single one of us, even though you may not have been told this, you were born under the law. So what does that mean? It means this. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you were born accountable to the law of God as revealed in the Old Testament and New Testament. So New Testament and Old Testament say that the law of God is written on our heart. In other words, there's something inside of each and every one of us that says, I ought to do this and I ought not to do that. People should do this and people shouldn't do that. This is justice and this is injustice. Within all of humanity, there is this universal sense of ought, of right, and of wrong. Now, certainly pain and and wrong thinking can dull that sense of right and wrong and result in people who can't always see it and doing evil things. But in all of us, there is this universal sense of ought. So here's the question. Where did that universal sense of ought, right and wrong, of just and unjust come from? Some of us think it comes from education and living in a great free society, but we clearly see that education and freedom often doesn't lead to more moral people. The ought that is written on your heart is written there by God. You were created, the Bible teaches us, in God's image. So there is this draw in us being created in his image to God's justice, his rightness, his love, what is good and what is not good. And all of us, religious or not, bump into this in our life. We saw last week in one of those questions, I wish he hadn't asked that type of questions that I asked. I asked the question, if there's anyone in your life that you saw them fail, that you would secretly struggle with feeling satisfied, justified, or even joyful at their failure. You know, that really successful person who fails and struggles and you have those moments of kind of secretly feeling good? satisfied at their struggle or, or maybe it was that person who always talked and acted like life was perfect and while your family and your life was far from perfect and, and you finally see them struggling kind of in their marriage and you just kind of feel this tinge of joy even good that you know that there's something wrong going on and it just makes you feel better and you know that's bad you know that's evil it's not something you want to admit readily but it is a feeling you face and a thought that goes fleeting across your mind See, the reason you feel bad is because that feeling of sinful joy is bumping up against God's law of love written on your heart. Paul tells us, at the right time, Jesus came to redeem us who are under the law. You know that law is there. You know you don't measure up to it all too often. Oh, you may defend yourself, you may justify yourself, you may cover things up, put on a face and put on a show, work hard, perform, be nice, do generous things, but you still know 
because of that tinge inside of you that you don't measure up to the oughts of your heart, the law of God written on your heart, which is there because of God. Because we all come face to face with law and not measuring up inside, we tend to work really hard to find something that will make that feeling go away. So we look behind and to the left and the right and ahead of us, and we compare ourselves to other people. We don't measure up in our hearts to the oughts, so we work really hard to measure up to people around us, which is really kind of funny. Forgive me, I grew up working on farms. It's kind of like pig sloshing in the manure, comparing each other as to how who's the cleanest pig. He has more manure on him than I do. So, well, who cares? You still stink. We all stink, Right? We all fail to measure up to God's law written on our hearts. So how do we deal with that nagging feeling and those thoughts we don't like that we have? Again, we compare, right? We, we focus on areas we're superior. I'm better at not losing my temper in arguments. I, I don't drink as much as they do. I read my Bible more. I give more money into charity, and therefore I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm, everything is okay. And, and then we grow older. And we see people around us who look like they have it all together. The people who make us feel less than. The people we admire and we wish we could be like them. And eventually we bump into the reality that they too don't think they are all right. They too are bumping into God's law, the oughts of life, and failing too often. And their comparison that drives them to be better than others is actually destroying their relationships, their marriages, their families, and themselves, even though they have a bigger-er than you. What that means is, if you were able to fill in the blank with whatever you think they have that you don't have that would make you happy and acceptable and lovable and successful, whatever it is, if you could have the same success, the same spouse, the same kids, the same wealth they had, that you too would be still asking the exact same question. Am I okay? Am I lovable, acceptable, successful enough, good enough? See, the problem isn't any of those things. It's not that you haven't been successful enough. It has, it's not that you don't know the right person. None of those things will fill in the blank of the problems you are trying to solve. The problem is, Paul rightly points out, is that there is no acquisition big enough. There is no dollar amount big enough. No physical fitness or health good enough. No relationship beautiful enough to fix the broken relationship between you and your Creator our creator. Because under the law, our failure to live up to the oughts we know of has broken that relationship. And, and we haven't even started talking about the oughts of the Bible yet. It's just the oughts that you know that you haven't lived up to that make up the good, beautiful, abundant life. See, it's this incessant push to be better, to make sure the good things outweigh the bads, that give us the reason to feel good about ourselves in that comparison. And we all struggle with that. We all struggle with saying, am I okay? And it'll never stop trying to measure up until we recognize our brokenness and our need to be redeemed, which is what Paul is saying here in Galatians 4. He says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Now, these are just words to us, but these are really powerful, significant words. See, what this means is that God, through Jesus, did something for all of humanity. You, me, our neighbor, our coworker, the person we can't stand. Yes, even the politicians, though you might doubt that this week. 
He redeemed us. And He offers redemption to us. It's such a powerful word. But it's also a transactional word. It's actually a word, a financial term, the idea of buying back, of winning back, of regaining that which was lost and damaged and restoring it. It also has this connotation to reattach something that has been disconnected. See, at the right time, God sent Jesus to redeem all who were under the law. That means every single one of us, all of us who are disconnected, that we know we're unable to live up to our oughts, much less his oughts. And he made things right. And he provides the opportunity for connection and forgiveness and security within that. This word alone, though, still is kind of one of those distant words. You know, being a financial word, it's kind of transactional. It's not relational and personal. So Paul actually goes on from there and doesn't leave us there. He says, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. He redeemed us for a very personal purpose, that we might be adopted as sons and daughters, God's very own children, that we become family. God didn't just send Jesus to make a legal transaction and assure us to get to heaven. And he didn't just come to forgive you and take away your guilt and make you feel better. It's, it's bigger than that. Paul chose the very intentionally. He came to adopt you as a child, his son and daughter. It's personal. Now, you may remember from a couple years ago, Paul, in choosing that Greek word we translate adoption, picks a very specific hugely meaningful word to them in the first century. In the first century, adoption was very different than it is today. No one adopted babies because too many babies died. People adopted adults back then. Adoption as an adult meant that you were poor and struggling, who were poor and struggling, often with no family or, or, or little family, just hit the lottery. And you are now being adopted into a well-to-do family with good security and a good community name, and your future was now secure and set. See, what Paul is saying here is, to us is, God has seen you as an adult. In all of your failures, all of your sin, all your shortcomings, the things you've done in the past, the way you could never measure up, and that God, that God knows all of that, and loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to redeem you and to adopt you, to give you the secure acceptance and love as a child of God. You are his family now. In spite of all your junk, whatever talent you have or lack of ability you have, your lack of connections, your pride, whatever it might be, God has made it possible for you to be adopted into his family, to become his child. It's not just about going to heaven. It's not just about you are forgiven. It is so much more. That creator-created relationship that has been broken, it's no longer broken. The insecurity you feel not knowing if you live up to the odds in your life, that can all be gone completely gone because you are now secure even while not yet perfect or fully mature as his child. See, but the text goes even further than that to describe how magnificent it is to be adopted, how fully secure and loved we are. Paul realizes that this word father is too formal, too stuffy. In, in that world, for that matter, and maybe in our world too, fathers can often be distant and 
and busy and never there and never be learned to be on the child's level with them. So Paul goes on to make sure you don't think of this kind of relationship in that way as being adopted by God as your father, saying, saying because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Many of us know what I'm about to say, but if, so if you do, just let it, let it sink in a little deeper today even if this is a review for you. See, God is not just Father. He is Abba. Paul's actually going back to the Aramaic, the common language of the Middle East and of his time, using that word Abba. The word isn't like saying, Dear Father, Sir. No, it's the child who feels absolutely no apprehension or formality at all in the presence of their father. A child who feels absolutely free to be who they are with their father. A child who feels like their father is coming to them on their level and responds to them saying, Dad, Daddy, Pops, Poppy, Papa Bear, Daddykins. Anybody else got any pet names that you can throw in there? No? Whatever loving pet name you could ever hear or refer to your dad whose arms are always open wide to hug and wrestle and just listen to your day with delight. See, God is now your papa. See, it's so much more than a stamp canceling your guilt. It's so much more than getting a ticket for the pearly gates someday. God is your papa. Let that sink in for just a moment. What if that idea became more than just an idea to you? It was something that permeated every feeling, every thought, every action you had in life. That God is your Papa, always ready with open arms to hug you, to encourage you, to teach you, to be with you, to laugh with you, to cry with you. I want to hear some of God's dad jokes. To work on your behalf. Think about it this way. Who do perfect parents compare their children to? Now, I've been around church all my life, a lot of new parents, and I've gotten to know a lot of new parents really well. Even average parents, when they have a new baby, and even if that baby by our culture standards is the ugliest baby in the world, they still spend all of their time exclaiming how adorable and cute and beautiful and perfect that baby is. They are so in love with that baby. So let's go back to that first question. Who do perfect parents compare their children to? The answer is no one. No one, right? Paul actually goes on to reinforce the change in our heart and personal relationship with God that he wants, saying that, that so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Uh, maybe maybe this is only me, but 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 you're, many of you are probably like me. It's so easy to fall into this tendency in the way we relate to God as we need to learn to do the right things, to obey the right things. It's all about doing things. And we can look then at obedience to God and we can kind of have this attitude, I need to do this. But I can remember as a child when my dad was painting the porch or making the homemade foosball table that he made for us or fixing something, as a kid, I, I just wanted to be able to do it with him. I wanted to learn what he knew. I wanted to, I wanted to use the power tools, to be frank. 
When my dad let me mow the lawn when I was in first grade, I still had to reach up to the, reach to the bars and push like crazy, but I was so excited that my dad loved me and believed in me and trusted me to be responsible. I wasn't being used as a slave by my dad. I was a child, loved by my dad, wanting to do the things my dad did and feeling honored that I got to do it. Next part of that verse says, God has made you an heir. Not just a servant, but a son or a daughter. He's made you an heir. All of who God is, all of what God has, is yours. You are family. Such security in that. Do you understand how powerful that is? See, as long as Christianity is this factual, categorical, philosophical, this good moral teaching, this belief, this idea to you, as long as Christianity is just something that gets you a ticket to heaven, relieves a little bit of guilt, helps you be a better person, a better parent, it remains this thing that stays at an arm's length for you, distant and impersonal. But what if God really loves you more than that? wants you to know him and wants to know you more than that. You see, he didn't just send his son to make that transaction. He came to make you his son and his daughter where you can relate to him in the most affectionate, safe terms as daddy, as papa. What if God adopted you as an adult, knowing everything about you, all that you've done wrong, all your strengths, all your failures, all your inadequacies, and he still loves you so much that he was willing to pay such a high price to adopt you as his kid. See, that's exactly, exactly who God, your heavenly Papa, is. So let me ask you a question. And on this one, go ahead and answer out loud with me. God, your Abba, your Daddy, your perfect parent, no matter how perfect or imperfect you are, no matter how childlike, immature you are or how mature you are, who does God compare you, his child, to? No one. Can you say that? Who does he compare you, his child, to? The answer is no one. See, he doesn't compare you to your boss, to your sibling, to your really successful friend. No, not at all. He's enthralled with you. He loves you, and he loves you to be with him. So, whose estimation of you, whose opinion of you should you believe as to whether you measure up, whether you are worthy of love and all the good God wants for you? Want to trust somebody else's opinion you compare yourself to? What about yours? You want to trust your own opinion? Or do you want to trust your heavenly Papa and his opinion of you? See, many of you as parents have had this kind of conversation with your kids that went something like this. You just sit down with them and you say, sweetie, if you could just quit paying attention to what other people think of you, if you could just believe what I think of you as your parent, I believe in you more than you believe in yourself. I know you better than anybody else. If you would just pay attention to what I think of you, all the anxiety, depression, the comparing, the, the stress that you have in relationships, it could all go 
go away. I love you and I think the world of you. How much more does God, your heavenly Father, your Abba, your Daddy, your Papa, your Daddykins want you to trust His opinion of you, of, of you most? See, what if every time you're tempted to say, I need to be skinnier, I need to be more successful, I need to be smarter, I need to be less dumb, that we stopped and simply said, there is no win in comparison. In fact, there is no need for comparison because I am so loved by my heavenly daddy that when we start to be tempted and we compare ourselves Well, Andy Stanley says it this way, and I have to quote him because I don't quite have the preacher voice to say this quite like it is. It is kind of cute. He says, I want you to know you're fine because you're mine. Somebody got a better preacher voice. You can say that line better. You're fine because you're mine. And he goes on and says, I'm not finished with you. God God would be saying to us, I'm not finished with you yet. I love you just the way you are, but I'm not going to leave you that way because I love you so much because you're my child. See, God's saying, I'm going to do things through you. I see so much potentially in you. I'm going to to love you and I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to empower you, help you grow. I'm going to help you realize your potential far more than you ever could on your own. Our simple response to achieve that fullest potential is found in simple, uh, simple two things. First is trusting our Papa's love. Trusting that we are secure as children of God. And secondly, Jesus says this in John 5 really succinctly. He says, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He does only what He sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So Jesus is saying, I live by watching what my Papa is doing, and I do that with Him. I live by doing the will of my Father, not my will, but yours be done. And I do it like a child who is loved, who so much wants to be like their dad that they're excited whenever their dad invites them and gives them the opportunity to learn something new and do something with him. Can you imagine what kind of peace comes from living like that? See, we pressure ourselves so much to perform and achieve in life. And Jesus lived simply following his heavenly father, doing whatever he saw him doing. Such stress relief, just following him, just knowing him. And he accomplished enough in three years to change the entire world forever. See, God isn't looking left and right and behind you and ahead of you to determine whether you're okay. He's just saying, I love you. You're my kid I love you so much, I'm not going to let you stay as you are, but I sure love you the way you are right now. I'm going to help you find even more peace, more joy, more strength, more meaning, more freedom, more well-being. You're my kid. You're my kid. I'm so excited about who you're becoming and who you can be. You never find peace and tranquility until God's measure, God's thoughts of you are your thoughts toward you. Until you're able to say and you're able to let it really sink in more and more and become more and more a part of who you are, that I'm going to take my cue from the one who loves me, who created me, who redeemed me and made me his kid. And I'm not going to live life comparing myself to others. I'm going to live life 
seeking to know my heavenly Papa and see what he's doing and do what he's doing with him. I'm going to live life doing my, doing my Father's will. And that's when contentment and peace becomes more than a fleeting, momentary experience. See, because whether you have less or whether you have more than someone else, it won't matter. The only thing that matters is, will I, uh, uh, to your potential is knowing Him and, and getting into His will. Your greatest potential is found in knowing and doing the will of your Heavenly Father who loves you, who believes in you, and who provides absolutely everything for you. So maybe, maybe for all of us, a simple way to respond to this today is just kind of make this kind of sense a, a regular prayer we pray, where we just say, God, give me the eyes today to see how much you love me right now, no matter what's going on, no matter how good, no matter how bad, no matter how difficult or easy it is. Help me to see how you love me right now. And Lord, give me eyes to see the opportunities you're presenting me today to do things with you to make a difference in this world. Let God's measure be your measure. Let God's opinion be your opinion and follow him. Now, this is such a big thought. We're going to come back and camp on it a little bit more next week, except we're going to look at Jesus and how Jesus teaches us next week not to compare and actually how Jesus teaches us how we can live in a place of security and walk into our full potential. We're going to actually look at one of his most famous parables. It's a parable that, frankly, often gets used and abused to mean a lot of things it doesn't mean, but we're going to take a look at it next week, and I think it's going to be really, I've been looking at it, it's been really impacting me. I think it's going to be really impactful for you today. As we close today, we're going to celebrate communion. So if those who are serving communion can come on down right now. I want to invite you to come down to your father's table to take part in the tradition that he started for us over 2,000 years ago, representing his commitment to you to come in bodily form to make a way for you to know him, for you to be adopted, for you to be forgiven, for you to walk into the full potential that he has created you for. Communion is open to all who profess faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you're curious about faith and you're not really sure about Jesus, we want to invite you to partake in communion as well. You can do it this way. You can come down and you can take the elements and you can say, God, if if you really came as Jesus, And if you really are offering this kind of forgiveness and this kind of a relationship, I want to take this and I want to ask you to make yourself real to me and show that to me so I can know you and I can follow you. And as we take communion, we're going to also be singing a song. I want to encourage you to let the words of that song just be your voice to your Heavenly Father. Would you stand with me as we pray? God, our Father, we we love that you say you're our Father. We love that you say you're our Papa, our Dad, our Daddy. But we don't always know that, Lord. We struggle in life. So I ask, Lord, that you'd come in this time. You'd come to each and every single one of us here. And you'd speak to us, your spirit would come and you would create that sense of that closeness that you want us to have with you, that you'd come just as you'd love to do with open arms and, and hold us, hug us, touch us, laugh with us, encourage us, lift us up when we're tired. 
whatever state any one of us are in, Lord, thank you that you are big enough to come right now to us as we need you to come. So we invite your spirit. Would you come now? And as we celebrate communion, as we come to you and thank you for coming for us, for dying for us to pay the price to buy us back and make us your kids, would you just help us to worship you and experience that love right now? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.